the Lord is going to get what the Lord wants from called men and women. He's going to get it. And the question is, are we going to participate with him in him getting that out of us? Or are we going to resist him and have to do it the hard way? Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Just a heads up before we dive into our topic today, Carly, you know, A Jew and a Gentile Discuss is listener supported and we want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity at the end of this program to get more involved. So stay tuned for those details. Let's discuss. Ezra, as we were preparing for this episode, it just reminded me how much I still don't know about the Bible and Jewish ministry, which is good. Well, you're in good company. <laughs> I, I feel that way on a daily basis. But. but really, I feel like, you know, being a believer and reading the Bible, it's a constant learning process. Sure. And hopefully the whole point of these podcasts is to dive into those things. Right. Um, and just continue digging into scripture. So that actually, it, it doesn't make me discouraged, but more motivated and inspired to continue to learn. And so I'm excited to, today we're going to look at a story that is well known to definitely Christians, especially those who were Christians as children, which is the story of Jonah. And, you know, kind of the, the Cliff Notes version is that Jonah was asked to do something by God. He flees from God and he ends up in a whale. In the yes. belly of a whale. In the belly of a whale. Yes. Big fish. Yep. And then he eventually gets vomited. That's my favorite mm-hmm. um, biblical word. Mm-hmm. Vomited out of the That's whale. A good one. Yeah. And so if you're a Christian, as a kid, you probably saw that in a storybook or like Veggie Tales, or there might even be like a song with hand motions about it. And it's in the Old Testament too. Well, it's in the Old Testament not too. That's where it yeah. is, right? Yeah. And so uh, for Jewish children as well, right? Like I think sometimes... Christian audiences don't think about this. Jewish kids who are in synagogues, right, Jewish houses of worship, wherever in the United States, in Canada, in Israel, around the world, uh, are still going to the Jewish parallel to Sunday school, and it's Shabbat school, right? There's a children's program while the adults are in listening to the rabbi, and uh, this is what you do. And so because it's in the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish Bible, Jonah is widely taught in Shabbat school, right? And it's the same story. God asked Jonah to do something. The God of Israel, of course, asks Jonah to do something. He runs away. He ends up in the big fish, and he miraculously gets spit out on shore, and then, and then, and then, right? And you have the flanagram, whether you're Christian or Jewish, uh, and you tell the story, but it's all, it's kind of about the fish, right? And the lesson is we should obey God. You know, some, you know, vindictive Sunday school or Shabbat school teachers say, otherwise you'll end up in a big fish like Jonah, and others just say we should obey God. But it's almost like the fish becomes the overarching thematic element for kids, and then that's what we carry forward into our adulthood. And there's definitely a lot of biblical stories that have that same storyline of, which makes me feel good as a Christian, that Mm -hmm. uh, you can disobey God, Mm -hmm. something negative might happen, but then God redeems. Right. He, he restores us. And would it be dramatic as literally sinking to the bottom of a sea floor and then being eaten by a giant sea mammal? Probably not. But anyway, uh, I don't know if a whale's a mammal. I'm revealing. This is, this is why we do Jew and a Gentile discuss and not like marine biology discuss, because I have no idea. Anyway, you can write in and tell us whether a whale is in fact a mammal. But moving on to things we do know. So this idea, right? Like that God can restore us even when we're disobedient. And that's a very good 
devotional lesson. Like that's certainly part of what we can pull out of the story of Jonah. But what we want to talk about for the balance of our time today is that's not the whole picture. And we need to look at the Jewish context in which this is happening to Jonah and then around Jonah, through Jonah, and we can pull some other lessons out which are super applicable today. Yeah, I was going to say, for those listening, this is a Jew and a Gentile discuss. So what is the Jewish part here? Like, we all know this story. What's the Jewish action? Sure. So a couple things we can look at, and then we'll tie this back to actually the life and the ministry of Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. The first thing that our Christian audience may not know is, as much as Jonah's kind of a lighthearted story, right? The whale, the flanagram, Sunday school, Shabbat school, it's also read on the holiest, most solemn day of the Jewish calendar. So, Carly, we know that's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, happens depending on the year, every September, October on the Jewish calendar in the middle of the High Holy Days or the Fall fall Feasts, Fall Holidays. And we read this peculiar couple chapter book called Jonah on this day when Jewish people are commanded in the Torah through Moses to deny ourselves. And the way that's applied is fast. So some people, you know, don't eat meals. Some people actually don't have water or anything. Like they're ingesting nothing and they are afflicting their souls for a 24-hour period. And in as we as we come to the breakfast in the final hours of that 24-hour period, Jewish communities around the world read the book of Jonah. And why are we doing that? About a, a story about a big fish and a guy who gets swallowed and as you said, vomited, right? Vomited on the shore. Why are we doing that? on the most solemn day of the year. And it's because there's some very sobering elements for the people of Israel, for Jewish people, and I would say for all of us who are believers in the God of Israel, Christians believing in the God of Israel, brought near to him through Yeshua, and Messianic Jews as well, uh, restored to right relationship with with the God of Israel, with the Father through our Messiah, Jesus Yeshua. Uh, so we can talk about a couple of those elements. That, that was really surprising to me that you read Jonah on Yom Kippur, like partly from knowing you. When I think of Yom Kippur, I think of Ezra laying on his couch, not eating coffee, right. not drinking coffee. Oh, it's, so he's it's just a mess. miserable. It's nuts. I don't then think of you about reading Jonah. No, just ask my wife. I go nonverbal by about two thirty in the afternoon on Yom Kippur because there's no coffee. And yeah. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth and yeah. I'm afflicting my soul. But I'm reading Jonah, and why am I doing that? So one of the things we can find in the book of Jonah is what's the context of Jonah's call, right? The Hebrew prophets, like I think, especially for our Christian audience, but also for our Jewish audience, kind of a refresher course, the Hebrew prophets were called primarily, in some cases exclusively, but at least primarily, to speak to Jewish men and women about their relationship with their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and whether they were in right standing with him or whether they were stiff-necked and stubborn-hearted and had turned away from him and were being called to repent or face the consequences. Like, this was the prophet's job, right? To speak to the people of Israel and say, this is what the Lord says to you. And you see a couple of examples where they're speaking to, you know, Tyre and Sidon and kings of other nations who are going to come against Israel and say, you can try it, but you're not going to succeed. Or in some cases, you can try it and you will succeed because I'm, you know, I'm for a moment, I'm angry at the disobedience of my chosen people. But primarily the message is to or about the Jewish people. And yet here, Jonah gets called to Nineveh, right? He's a Hebrew prophet. Like he speaks Hebrew. He's living in the land of Israel expecting his ministry to be to Jewish people and their neighbors, right? Jewish people. And then he gets called, 
go to a city, which we can look on the map today, and it's kind of tucked in south of Turkey in northern Iraq, just to give us some context, okay? So go to a people who are far from Jewish and who are very far from the God of Israel. In fact, their practices are some of the most pagan, godless, wicked things going on on the face of the earth, and I want you to go to them and tell them to, to repent. And we go, well, Jonah turns away from his call. Okay, fine, that, that's, that's oversimplifying, but why is he turning away? Well, reading into it a little bit, we can say, Jonah would say, wait a minute, I'm called to my people, right? I'm called to a people who are close to God, but misstepping. And you're telling me to go to a people who have nothing to do with you, God. In fact, they're enemies of you. And they're as far away as anybody on earth could be doing crazy things that I don't even want to see, let alone be associated with. And now you're telling me, go and preach your mercy to them. No, thank you right? It's totally outside of Jonah's worldview that a people practicing the things that those people practiced and worshiping gods that they were worshiping should should be the recipients or even the hearers of a message of the mercy and the blessings of repentance and turning away from evil and sin of, of the living God, of the God of Israel. So that's the problem. Jonah's getting an assignment that he doesn't want. I mean, not only probably he doesn't feel qualified, I don't speak whatever language they speak in Nineveh, right? There's practicalities, but also it's a heart issue for Jonah. These people don't deserve your mercy, and I'm not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to run the other way. So he goes to the port in Jaffa, and he, and he leaves. He goes as far as he can from Nineveh. In case, you know, those of us who aren't geography, advanced placement scholars, you know, heading west on the Mediterranean out to sea is not in the direction that you go to get to northern Iraq from Israel. So he's headed the opposite direction. He doesn't believe these people, he doesn't believe the mercy of God should be extended to a godless people. Mm-hmm. And little did he know that he would be ending up, you know, I'm sure he had no idea that he would be in the belly of a whale by disobeying. Right, totally. And we know the details, right? This huge storm comes. So the Lord is on Jonah. And I think that's important. Like this could be, you know, where we end the podcast, which we won't, but we could end it right here. Like the Lord is going to get what the Lord wants from called men and women. He's going to get it. And the question is, are we going to participate with him in him getting that out of us? Or are we going to resist him and have to do it the hard way? So Jonah, out of stubbornness, out of feeling unqualified, out of, you know, of being offended at the Lord. And, you know, now we're getting into it. Is is he offended at the Lord that God's mercy mercy should go to uh, a people he doesn't believe deserve it? Maybe. But he runs the other way, has to get, he offers himself. In essence, he get to this, gets to this point where he goes, I'm the reason all of this harm is coming on all these people. I ran from the Lord. I'm totally in sin. And he, in essence, commits suicide. Like, I know that's strong language, but Jonah's committing suicide. He's going, throw me over into the sea. There, wherever, dozens, hundreds of miles offshore, it's an incredibly stormy situation. There's no coming back from this. Jonah knows, like, this is it. I'm dead. Throw me over. And, of course, he's thrown into the sea by desperate sailors who have already thrown everything else they can, and he sinks. That's it. It's curtains for Jonah, right? And miraculously, it becomes calm, and everything seems to be fine, except we think Jonah's dead. But he's not. The Lord arranges the circumstances, so somehow, you know, when we've all seen movies or cartoons, he ends up in the guts, in the digestive system of this giant sea creature, this whale, this big fish, and he stays there for three days. He repents. We see, in essence, psalms, prayers written from the belly of the fish, from the depths of despair, calling out to God for his mercy. So now Jonah, who said these people don't deserve mercy, is asking God for it, and he gets it. And he, as you said, is vomited out on the seashore, and he gets a second chance. Do you think there's any parallel with three days and three nights? Yeah, I think... uh, 
I'm glad you used that phrase because this this little known little known is, isn't the right way to say it, but this passage of scripture that maybe we've read one to a hundred times and we don't think about what it's actually saying. In Matthew 12, right, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, look, the Son of Man has to be betrayed and he has to be crucified and he will be in the grave and he'll rise again the third day. And they're looking at him like, what are you talking about? And he's saying this to his faithful followers, right? Those who go, you know, you're the Messiah, you're the... In, in the Greek and then the English, the Christ. And what that means is it's the Greek and English way to say the Messiah, the anointed one. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. You're the son of the living God. But Jesus also talks about this three days and three nights to the Pharisees, to the Jewish community who not only doesn't believe he's the Messiah, but is deeply threatened by the ways that he's challenging the religious systems that they've built and is trying to shut him up. And... It says in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38, and we'll read it here, they're asking for a sign. And Paul actually says this. He says, it's kind of a spiritual principle that Jewish people demand a sign. The way that we know that God's involved, and we see it throughout history, is a miraculous sign. Show us something, God, that only you could do that we know this is you. And so the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, say to to Jesus in verse 38, they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're not asking for something unreasonable. They're saying, if you're from God, prove it. And this is Jesus' answer. It's troubling. Jesus said to them, he answered, and he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign, and no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what does that mean? What's the sign of Jonah? That's weird language. And he says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's the heart of the earth? It means he'll literally, he'll be buried, right? He'll be in a grave, he'll be underground. And then it says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and they'll condemn it because the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed one greater than Jonah is here. So we go, you know, flanograms aside and the picture of the big fish, and it's a fun story for kids. Jesus is saying, no, you need to understand something here. The reason Jonah had authority to be listened to when he gets vomited back on seashore and he goes to Nineveh is because everyone knew they saw him go overboard. They saw him thrown into the depths of the sea, okay? All these sailors knew it. The guy's dead. And then imagine, you know, what happened to Jonah? Well, he died at sea. And then you see him walking around Israel and heading up to Nineveh. Wait a minute. This man was dead for three days, and now he's alive. And we know the end of the story in Jonah, right? He goes and preaches to Nineveh, this godless city, this godless civilization. And everyone from the king to the pauper put on sackcloth and ashes and get down on their face, and they fast and they pray and they repent. And the city is saved from the destruction of God. Well, why? Part of it is Jonah's death was confirmed and now he's alive again. And Jesus is saying to the Jewish followers, you want a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to be dead in the ground for three days and three nights, and then I'll be resurrected. And it says the men of Nineveh are going to rise up and judge Israel in the day of judgment. Why? Because if Jonah's resurrected from the dead, right, and the way that God chose to do that is have a big fish swallow him, keep him in the fish's guts, and vomit him out on the seashore, Jesus would be resurrected. Wait a minute. Godless people listen to to Jonah because of the power of his testimony of resurrection and his calling. 
how could the people of the God of Israel not listen to the one whose death was confirmed and whose resurrection was witnessed by hundreds? And so it's saying, Jesus, I mean, this is a hard thing. Yeshua is saying, it, it'll be better for the people of Nineveh in the day of judgment than it will be for you, Israel. Because I, you, you're, I was resurrected from the dead. How is that not enough to listen to me? You're asking for a sign. I'm giving you the most miraculous sign that could ever happen, the resurrection of the dead. And yet, because of the callousness over your hearts, you still won't be able to listen and receive it. So it's a hard message. And that's the whole three days and three nights language, right? We read Jonah and go, oh, that's a cute Old Testament story. But it's actually a foreshadowing of the resurrection of the Messiah, of Jesus, that Jesus by name says, look at this story in the history of our people and use it as a witness today. And if you listen to Jonah, if godless people listen to Jonah, then the people of God had better listen to me. Mm -hmm. And I think if you would ask a Christian, when did Jesus talk about Jonah or did Jesus talk about Jonah, they would say no. Right. Because they just wouldn't think about that. So for those listening, if you missed that, go and look at Matthew 12, starting mm -hmm. at verse 38, and read that for yourself right. to kind of see the parallel here. I think that's so interesting, paralleling Jonah and Jesus. You don't usually hear paralleling Jonah and Jesus totally. together. Totally. But that same idea, three days and three nights in the depths of the earth, and then miraculously resurrected, brought back to life. And the testimony of someone who's been resurrected. Like, I mean, it's not in the book, but of course, right? Like, imagine these sailors, Jonah's dead. Like, they left him, they get back to shore somehow, and then they see the dude walking around, and he says, God delivered me from death. You're going to listen to what he has to say. And the same is true with Jesus. And I think that's really, you know, the application here for a Jewish audience who's listening, uh, or if you're a Christian kind of in a conversation with a Jewish friend, family member, co-worker about the Messiahship of Jesus, I think it, our, ours is not to make convincing arguments, right? You can point to what Moses and the prophets have to say about who the Messiah would be, and Jesus fulfills all of that. But at the end of the day, the harbinger, the, the undeniable witness that should cause Jewish people at least to consider the Messiahship of Jesus rather than rejecting him as Jesus Christ, the God of the Christians, okay, is the resurrection that was historically recorded and witnessed by hundreds of people who talked about it and wrote about it, and that witness remains today. Are there other parallels you see in the Bible between Jonah and anyone else? Yeah, I think another one I'm thinking of is Peter. And so what's the parallel, right? I think Jonah had to go through, uh, in essence, realizing the consequences, right? Being, being literally buried at sea, but in the depths of despair because of feeling the weight of his turning away from God, rejecting God's calling, right? Rejecting that, that connection. And Jonah, in the midst of the depths of his own despair, is restored to relationship with God, right? Jonah gets vomited out on the sea, and then what happens immediately thereafter? God calls him again to the same ministry. But now Jonah's not going as one who's embittered and says these people didn't deserve this mercy. He's going as one who's received mercy and restoration. So God had to give Jonah a perspective change in order to prepare Jonah for the ministry calling he had. And I think we can see the same thing with Peter. Right, Peter, just like all of the disciples, is a Jewish man, right? He's always running his mouth. He's zealous for God, and then the next minute he's rebuking Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? Like, the, the story's chaotic. And, 
you know, Peter's saying, I'll follow you wherever you go, right? I'll take any assignment you give me, Yeshua. And Yeshua goes, no, I'm, let me tell you what's actually going to happen. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you, Peter, are going to deny my name three times. And he does. And it says when Peter realizes what he's done, he goes away and he weeps bitterly, right? He's even after the resurrection, he's like hiding from the Lord, right? He's feeling the weight of having abandoned his testimony when it mattered most and thinking that the response is going to be chaos. It's going to be condemnation, right? Why would Jesus want anything to do with me? Just like he told me I would, I failed when it counted, right? I screwed this up, to use a little French. And so just like Jonah, right? Jonah's despairing of life. He goes, just throw me overboard. I'm of no use to the Lord anymore. Just kill me. And I think Peter... You know, he's gone back to his fishing. He's doing what he knows how to do. But he's probably thinking, I'm of no use to the Lord. And yet the Lord specifically seeks him out. And through the, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep uh, narrative. We see that, that Jesus restores Peter and then calls him again. Feed my sheep. This is your assignment. Be a faithful shepherd in Israel. And not just in Israel, right? Because Peter now is one who's abandoned the Lord and his calling when, when the Lord needed him, when it counted, and he's been restored. And then a few chapters into Acts, what's happening with Peter? He's up on a roof praying, right, after Jesus is resurrected and, excuse me, ascended and gone to be with the Father. And through this whole vision of the sheet, it's not about Peter being called to eat unkosher food. God's saying, don't call unclean what I've called clean. What are you saying, Lord? I've never gone to a Gentile house. I'd have nothing to do with these unclean, godless people. And God's showing Peter, no, 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 no. I'm, I want to do something because it's not only about the people of Israel. It's first about the people of Israel. But through your, your reconciliation to me and Yeshua, I'm going to do what I always wanted to do through you and make you a blessing to all the families of the earth in the name of the Messiah, in the name of the Lord. And so Peter becomes the first one to go into a Gentile household and preach the gospel. And we know the story. They, they receive the message. They receive the good news. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, we say in Hebrew, which means wind or spirit. And Peter and the others marvel. They go, wow, so God isn't making a distinguishment between Jews and Gentiles in the sense of their need for salvation and forgiveness and the availability of his kingdom to them. And why was Peter the one whose heart was probably softest to be able to do this, I think part of it was tied to his rejection and restoration in Jesus, right? Like, you failed, and I can bring you back, so can I not bring back a people who never knew me to begin with? And that's where we see the beginning of the gospel actually going to the Gentiles, going to non-Jewish people, which, as we know, the majority of followers of Jesus today, the vast majority, aren't Jewish. We're praying, of course, like Paul says, for all Israel to be saved and for Jewish people everywhere to know that they're not too far away spiritually or geographically to come back into relationship with him. But the vast majority of his followers are not from a Jewish background. They were pagan, godless people, not in relationship with the God of Israel, who have been brought near through Yeshua, through that mercy. And so just like it was with Nineveh and the story of Jonah, I think it was with Peter being called to the Gentiles and even for all of us. And I think that's one of the one of the takeaways you and I have been talking about even before recording this today, Carly, is this idea like, is God calling us to extend his mercy beyond the boundaries of where we think it should be extended? Which is very difficult at this time in our world. You totally. know, when you're thinking about political strife, all the different opinions, right. it's just gotten more divisive. Right. And even us as Christians, 
I think we often say, you know, should God really extend mercy to those people over there who are doing these things we don't agree with? Right, totally. And I, you know, recently heard a, heard a friend say, I don't understand how somebody who's really a follower of the Lord could vote the way they voted, right? And the idea there is there's a boundary here that I'm drawing based on feelings that I have, which maybe are are very strong heart-level, gut-level convictions, but they're saying, I don't understand how God could be, how this person could be in right relationship with God if, dot, 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 if politically this is where they're at, if this is how they feel about, you know, pick your issue, gay marriage, transgender stuff, if this is, you know, how they feel about Israel and the Palestinian issue and, you know, where they fall on that line. And I think we draw these lines of, surely God can't be interested in this person because look at how they live and look at how they believe or look at how they vote or look what they did with their gender, right? Surely God's mercy doesn't extend that far. And I think the story of Jonah and the story of Peter and even Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees is to say, you don't get to decide how far God's mercy goes. The Father will have mercy on whom he has mercy. And if he's calling you to be a conduit of expressing that, you had better do it because he's going to get out of you what he wants one way or the other. And by the way, remember the mercy he's shown you. And that's true for Jews and Gentiles, right? All of us know we messed up and God brought us back to him or brought us near to him for the first time. And I think the other application from both Jonah and Peter is that if we make choices that are disobedient of God, God will still redeem and restore. Not that we should go do that purposely, but that's still something that he'll do. Right. There's consequences. I'm sure, you know, one day if we ever get to speak to, you know, speak to Jonah, right, in the in, when Jesus is ruling and reigning as the king and the Messiah on earth one day, you know, uh, whether we do or don't, there will probably be a long line to speak to Jonah. But if I get my turn, uh, you know, we might ask him, would, would you have preferred the fish experience? And he'd probably say, no, I would have preferred to say yes to the Lord to begin with and save myself drowning in the sea and all of the, the ridiculousness. But he also might say, but it certainly shored up my testimony and it prepared me to go to Nineveh. So even the Lord can, can, if we really believe, not that all things are good, there's some horrific, catastrophic things that happen in life. And it's ridiculous to say they're good. No, they're not, they're not good. Mm-hmm. But our God can make the outcomes of them good. Yeah. He can work all things together for good. So I think that's what I'm hearing you say is kind of even our mess ups God can turn into a testimony that he can use for his glory. Yeah. Something I heard you say, Ezra, recently a couple of weeks ago was Yeshua or Jesus. Yes. Yeshua gets what he wants. Yep. And that's what this makes me think of right. is we can mess up. We can do all of these things. But in the end, he's going to get what he wants, exactly. whether we are part of it or not. Right. He sounds like a mafia boss, right? It's like, <laughs> I get what I want, you know, so fall in line. But he's so gracious and so compassionate. Yeah. We see that time and time again to the people of Israel. And we see that time and time again to people who had no relationship with the God of Israel in, in stories throughout the New Testament. He does get what he wants, but he does it from a place of excellent leadership with grace and compassion. Consequences for disobedience, but always the heart to restore and always a hand of mercy. And I think, you know, for Jewish communities, reading, reading this story on Yom Kippur, it challenges us to extend mercy where we felt that maybe it's not deserved, but also to remember that God's posture toward all of us would be mercy, that mercy can triumph over judgment if we allow it to, mm-hmm. if we allow it to. And I think in the, in the divided 
polarized world we live in, that's the question. Will I allow it to? Will I allow the Lord to reveal his mercy through me? Or am I making myself uh, a demonstration of what I feel is his righteous judgment? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great context for looking at Jonah from both a Christian and a Jewish perspective, and then um, really great takeaways and applications for those listening. Yeah, and one more thing we'll say, because this is a Jew and a Gentile discuss, and because we're talking regularly about God's kind of enduring heart and plans for the Jewish people, is I just challenge our Christian audience, you know, sometimes whether it's being, you know, fists pounding from the pulpit or whether it's just sort of tacitly part of the culture of the churches that we're a part of, is, is the message in your worldview, the message in your faith community that the Jews rejected Jesus, so God rejected the Jews, and that's the end of the story. And if they want to become Christians, that's great. Otherwise, he has nothing to do with them. It's not what we see in the Old Testament in his heart towards Israel. It's not what we see in the prophet's ministry. It's not what we see Jesus saying when he said, I've come first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not what we see Paul saying when he says, have the Jews stumbled beyond recovery? God forbid, certainly they haven't. But this, this, this momentary callousness is so that salvation can come to all peoples. Mm-hmm. And out of the fullness of, every, of all people of the Gentiles' experience in the kingdom of God, ultimately God will work it out so all Israel is saved. So I think that's my challenge. My final challenge before we wrap it up to our Christian audience is if something in your worldview or your heart says, ah, God's done with the Jews, ask yourself, can his mercy triumph over their rejection, over their over the Jewish people, my people's abandoning of our calling for a time. Can God restore it? Can he redeem the calling? Can he bring a testimony even out of hard-heartedness and unfaithfulness that points to his faithfulness and his mercy? And I believe the scriptures are very clear. He absolutely can. Definitely. That's a great um, challenge to end on. For those listening, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going into some different Jewish practices, including um, Shabbat and practicing the Sabbath, uh, and also looking at uh, Jewish Bible reading. So stay tuned for those episodes in the next couple of weeks if you're interested in that. If you benefited from what you heard today and you feel others could benefit from hearing it too, we want to ask you to get involved and become a supporter. $50 gets this and other important messages out to a broader audience and gets life-saving medical care to one additional underserved Jewish person living far outside the land of Israel. As a thank you, we'll send you a bag of fresh roasted Ethiopian beans from our own Lost Tribes Coffee Company. These delicious beans are responsible for both the speed and intensity with which Ezra expresses himself on this podcast. Totally true, Carly. And if you're not ready to become a supporter today, just let us know that you listen by entering and giving a little bit of information. You'll be entered in a drawing to win a free bag of that Lost Tribes Coffee Company coffee. You can go to our website at jewandagentilediscuss.org or click in the show notes for more information. And if you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast content. And we'd also love if you leave us a review and share this podcast with someone you know. You can also follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and A Gentile Discuss. And if there's anything you want us to discuss or have us answer, please submit your questions at our website, A Jew and A Gentile Discuss.org. This is Carly and Ezra. Thanks for listening to A Jew and A Gentile Discuss. Join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.